0: Welcome to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris, and I'm Aaron. Ryan is currently exploring the heart of the Devil's Triangle. He's looking for the lost kingdom of Yamate, and he was last seen wearing a wife beater and sporting a ponytail, but we expect him to return in Chapter 24. So today what we're going to do is we're going to review Chapter 23. We're coming off of the planet Arcade. We're heading to Frobo's, where... The Jade Key has been located, and we start off the chapter in the XYZZY cluster, and we're talking about planets that all date back to the early days of the Oasis, and it's not a huge surprise, because this particular planet that he's going to, Froboz, is is the home of Zork, which is an incredibly old sort of... um, a text based game. And had you, Aaron, had you, you've played this, you've at least played it recently, right?
1: Well, uh, I remember a few months ago, I found some like website that was running an emulator of it. So I started playing it and I think I lasted off about three minutes before I said, screw that shit.
0: Yeah. I, that game bored the snot out of me. And I remember when it came out and uh, we loaded it up on the, the huge floppy disks that they had back then and the concept was cool the problem i had was that i didn't know all of the commands mm i knew a number of them did they
1: did they, it had to come with something to tell you how to maneuver
0: and no well i i don't know it's fuzzy because we're talking about at least for me when i first interfaced with it, it was the early 90s maybe late 80s so 89 88 80, 80, 80 something like late 80s, early 90s, maybe. And I don't remember there being an instruction. I don't remember it coming with with anything that really gave me a whole lot of hint. And I don't know if it's a situation where I went to a friend's house and I played it and the booklet for it had been lost or something, but I knew that I could go different directions. I knew that I could type in east or west or south. And it felt like for some directions... It was just the same thing over again. I almost felt like I was getting lost. Like I'd be like, East, there are brewing stormy clouds to the East. And I'd be like, go East again. There are brewing stormy clouds in the East. I'm like, do I need to go West twice in order to get back to where I was? Immediately, I felt like I was getting lost. Like I wasn't sure. I didn't fully understand programming at the time. So I I don't know. I, I don't think I was aware of the fact that possibly that I was hitting kind of a programmatic wall where I I couldn't go any further. And I don't know if the backend was recording it. I really didn't have a lot of experience with it. Let me put it that way. I didn't get very far, but I had friends. Well, I had friends who got a lot farther than I did.
1: I mean, I'm I'm even looking at like some maps online and um, yeah, I just don't know if
0: I would have had the patience for this. I know for a fact that I did not. It, It just, it was just, it was difficult. It was it was text-based, and I, I didn't quite get it. And by that time, I'd already played more visually-based games. But I understand how people really dug it, because as a kid, I was really into the choose-your-own-adventure books.
1: That I get. But th- this is not so much a, uh, you know, if you want to do this, go to page 72. Right. This was a figure-it-out-on-your-own-and-try-not-to-get-killed
0: yeah, I did not get very far in this game. So while there are a lot of people that have played Zork, I'm sure that loved it because of the text that would unfold as you entered in these key commands or you'd you'd you type in look and then it would describe the environment around you. And I thought that that was kind of cool because in this situation, you were typing in words that allowed you to unlock an environment textually that otherwise would not have been described to you. And I thought that was pretty cool and that you could say, get sword or get this, move west, etc. Uh, I just, um, it just never grabbed me. Uh, you know, like I said, the choose your own adventure books, that's how I got into reading as a kid. So I'm reflecting back onto this and thinking maybe I missed something. I'm truly not the gunter that, that Parzival is in the book <laughs> because-
1: oh, I definitely am not. I would uh, no, I, I'm, I'm- I would be looking up to IROC.
0: (laughs) Uh, We would hope not. So he gets to this, this this planet, and and finally kind of puts it together. Well, actually, let me back up here. He doesn't put it together. H actually gives him the hint, to which he then admits that, you know, he was a, a complete colossal douche. I would, you know, to, to kind of help cement that that situation. H is a great guy because
1: Parzival has been an absolute douchebag to him, and yet he still decided to throw him this clue. And he did it because it's payback. He, he knew he owed him something. H is the kind of friend you want right. to have because even when, when he's pissed at you, he's still going to help you out.
0: In a handful of paragraphs, it describes what happens in regular life, which is this need to sort of reconcile, and then once that reconciliation is done, then it's both sides kind of open up to oh, "I was a complete jack." It's the best. It's a bit like if you and I had a problem and said, "Dude, I'm sorry," and then you're like, "Dude, I'm sorry too. I was a complete asshole." So because one person gave way, uh, the other person it just allows them to open up and and apologize, reconcile, or just kind of, you know, get on evil footing. Uh, I said evil, get on even footing. And so that's really kind of a cool way to, to portray it in this story. It's nice. It's nice. But we get back to the quatrain, which is the captain conceals the jade key in a dwelling long neglected, but you can only blow the whistle once the trophies are collected. So immediately, you know, the first sort of big name that gets thrown up here is the name Froboz. And you know what? Ernest does a really good job of nailing it down a lot of this information, a lot of these facts. So when I pitched back to the word Froboz, which it's, it's described in the book as that the planet Froboz was named after a character in Zork. Yeah. I thought it was named after like the Froboz Corporation. Is that- there was a... There was a Froboz. Well, maybe in later games, there was a Froboz Corporation. Yeah,
1: and I, I don't know enough about the game histories of all, on all these things. So um, I'm sure that there's probably more to the name Froboz than a corporation, or at least it may not have started that way. But um, it's a cool-sounding name.
0: It is a cool-sounding name. Froboz, as far as the game is concerned, for all the fan history that's out there, is a province. Froboz is a location. It's a uh, province that's, that's, you know, north of the Westlands in the game, in the larger game system. Now, there is a character called Froboz. I'm sorry, the Wizard of Frobaz. But still, the Wizard of Frobaz is not the Wizard Frobaz, It's the Wizard from Froboz. There is just one little bit here of all the places that we have checked. And there's always been sort of these subtle layers and levels. Uh, just this one little factoid. Kind of got flubbed up a smidge, but Maybe. the interesting th- the part though is now that we have the wide world of the internet, froboz itself as a name has been used in a couple of different ways. It's it's actually moved forward in modern day vernacular, and I'll give you an example. I might sure. say, "Dude, that is a nasty froboz you're sporting on your face, bro." What do you is think this I'm something saying? that people hear? Yeah or are you are you trying really? to start something new? I'm 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 starting something. I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> I have so, never heard anybody
1: say that before. No, I'm sure you I don't, I don't hear I don't hear <laughs> things. I'm not in the cool
0: in the cool club. So it if somebody okay, so the Wizard of Frobos had this just wild hair and this giant ass uh beard or or goatee, this very unkept long swooping goatee kind of thing on his character so to say somebody somebody says you're sporting a fro boss is basically to say you've got some ugly ass goatee going on
1: okay i will definitely uh, put that one in my back pocket yeah. for a rainy
0: day you know you're just you're gonna go up to somebody and use it and they're gonna go ah, zork right no no probably not no i'll probably get a punch in the face <laughs> i don't know what you said man but i think you just called me an asshole or something but f- evidently, frobos is used in place of exclamation words. So, you know, I could walk into a messy office and go, God, look at all this Froboz going on, which is which is to say, you know, look at all this shit. Look at this. This crap. Yeah, I
1: can't say I've ever heard of this, but uh, I'm going to take your word for you it. You know
0: what? It's in Urban Dictionary. OK, that means, really that means I at least this- three people are using it in this particular way.
1: Uh, you're right. It is in uh, Urban Dictionary. I guess I had I had no reason to suggest you were lying,
0: and, and I could have been. You don't know, man. I might have just made that shit up. I just I'm just fro freaking Boz, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that that turned into like a curse word of some sort used by maybe a handful of geeks. I've really got to wonder who's walking around making fro references in a negative way. I I don't know. We'll move on from there, but I thought that was at least interesting that that Froboz as a name was just slightly not quite not quite as it was defined in the book.
1: But well, I'm I'm definitely going to have some fun at the office on Monday.
0: You're going to get funny looks. Moving forward, his plan is to get to the planet Froboz and to jump in a ship and fly there. But you know how do you get to the planet? quickly i guess is the thing and for him it's the ring of teleportation and i do you remember last episode maybe the episode before that i was like you know it's these little items right these these arcane unique items these little magical things that allow you to do something really special in the game but have their own and all too convenient (laughs)
1: all too (laughs) oh it's just oh i happen to have this thing that's gonna magically solve my problem who would have thunk?
0: luckily i had a backup plan my ring of teleportation wait you had a ring of teleportation why yes i did it's one of my most valuable magical items in my inventory looted from the horde yeah. of a red dragon i'd slain on gygax wait what You you you've had that that's a thing oh that's convenient well, the thing is, if he
1: had mentioned it before, then we would have accused him of retconning.
0: Possibly, I guess. It just felt like, huh, here's a problem that I've run into. How am I going to solve it in less than a paragraph? I know. It's, like, um, I, it's a ring. It's
1: kind of like that moment where, where he looks in the mirror in, in the real world and like, man. I mean, not the real world. It, it, and it's like, my avatar's hair is very Frobo's good thing i have the anti frobos comb
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it, and i'm not I, i'm sure i'm being too critical here it's just in any kind of book where you have these sort of rarities that can bend the rules that all of a sudden can be whipped out these sort of convenient plot devices that are almost godlike in nature
1: yeah i, I i'd have to say i was less bothered by this one just because it seems like a completely logical type of magic item to have. Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't seem as far out there as I, as other items that could be made up could like, uh um, like the Findoros tablet of finding almost seems like in that realm. Right. Like that, that's real convenient. You have this disc that you can write an avatar's name on and it'll tell you where they are and how convenient it is that we're at a part in the story where that's going to be critical but the the ring of teleportation seems a lot more minor uh reasonable yeah it seems like that that's an object that you could have or um or you could go purchase an on, on incipio sure yeah i don't
0: or or potentially find i yeah. i get it I, I get it uh you know it's it's kind of like how do we work it in so that him being on the planet isn't obvious to Sixers who should already be there and would obviously chase down anyone who came into the atmosphere. And then rather than trying to really think out some sort of stealthy concept, uh, you've just got this device that's like, oh, well, I had that thing that allows me to do exactly what I need to do right now. Paragraph over.
1: Yeah, but you know it does have limitations. It's he can only do it once a month, right?
0: So that's right. something. <laughs> yes, because that's how they make their money. Is in is in fuel uh, and and gating from yeah. one place to another. So you know you can't let them use it too often.
1: And like it's supposed to be a magic item, and you, oh, I can only use my magic item once a month. What kind of stupid wimpy magic is that?
0: Well, it's powerful enough to transport them to a very specific place i guess it's it is interesting how it says okay well where do you want to go and it kind of pops up the map and you choose the planet and where you want to go on the planet and then boom you're there right what i what i did like was that the word used the command word used to make the ring work was brundle so what did
1: you find out about brundle
0: what did you find out about brundle the Only thing
1: that I found out, and it's probably a bit of a stretch, is that Jeff Goldblum's character uh, in The Fly was named Seth Brundle. Right. And that's the only thing I could find.
0: Have you seen The Fly?
1: Uh, That version, I know I saw it many, many, many,
0: many years ago. It's old. Um, But uh, I don't quite remember it. That was... In my memory, and I don't know if that struck me as a kid as being, uh, it was super fucking creepy to me. You know, the scene where he is in there and he's just like eating a candy bar, he's eating a candy bar. And he's just, you know, basically pumped up on life, I guess. <laughs> and Pumped up on this fly life that's kind of slowly exposing itself. And he goes into this bar and he does, he arm wrestles for a girl or a date or dating or something. That probably wouldn't fly these days, I might add. <laughs> but he's arm wrestling to 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 go on a date with this gal, I suppose. And and then when he he arm wrestles, and the arm wrestling happens so hard that the muscular dude that he's arm wrestling, his arm snaps, and you see the bone poking out of the skin. It literally snaps his arm in half. Uh... Could happen. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh people do that all the time just to get two guys that are so strong and one of them's going to break quite literally going to break oh oh that just i think that was creepier than the end but yeah
1: i don't remember any much of this at all honestly so uh
0: but he the whole it's point got to behind, be a rewatch. the whole point behind the movie is he was doing this sort of grassroots bootstrapped experiment of teleporting and he had these two weird egg like devices that you would get inside. And he got inside one and unfortunately a fly came in with him that he did not know. And then it teleported him to the device that's like five feet next to it. And he comes out and it's all steamy and it's a, a hunkin', you know, naked Jeff Goldblum comes out and he seems apparently fine. There was that was the whole point was it was the science experiment of him teleporting and at the very end this fly is like the DNA's bursting out of his body and he's trying to drag in this girl that he's gone on a couple dates with to try and like unify with her like you and I will go in together and our DNA will mix and we'll be together forever it's really like That's teleportation right. gone wrong
1: <laughs> that just sounds so romantic to me
0: yeah yeah totally you know uh, yeah uh, just was icky. Just an icky icky movie.
1: I do remember having seen the probably the latter half of the uh was it the 1950s or early 60s version mm-hmm. of The Fly. And I just remember that that scene at the end where the the fly with the human head on it is in the spider web.
0: <laughs> right, right, that's it. It was based on the original where where something similar had happened, but rather than the DNA taking over gradually, uh, it was quite literally like a flip, I suppose. And then you know,
1: yeah, because uh, help 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 the human me. body. Because I remember in that one, the human body of whoever the uh, scientist and whatever his name was then it probably wasn't Brundle. Um, he, he, the same thing kind of happened where you know, a fly was in the teleporter thing. Uh, or I don't know if it was a teleporter in that one, but whatever. So then he has to wear this uh, paper bag on his head and keep his mm-hmm. his hand in his um, in his pocket, and he can't speak, but he can write. And um, yeah, that that one was kind of weird. And then I remember like he, he takes accidentally takes his hand out of his pocket and freaks out his wife, and then the scene where the uh, he thinks he's fixed himself, takes off the paper bag, and he's got the big fly head.
0: Yeah, that was fucked up. It was anyway, <laughs> very fucked up. What ends up coming up for him is you've got this planet that's filled with dozens, you know, hundreds of copies of Zork. 512. 512. He gets there, the opening text description, and the game Zork reads, West of house, you're standing in an open field west of a white house with a boarded front door. There is a small mailbox here. And sure enough, when I went to the emulation, the emulator that's out there, uh, you know, that's what comes up. That's always the place that I start off with. And then from there, I just get lost. And after 15 minutes, it loses me. But do you open the mailbox? I have opened the mailbox before, but I don't remember if there was anything interesting in
1: it. I think it's a pamphlet that's basically kind of like welcome, you are playing Zork.
0: <laughs> are there instructions? Maybe that's where I missed them.
1: <laughs> no, that's the thing, it's like I don't think there's any instructions in there. It's just like, you know You're playing Zork, congratulations. Copyright year nineteen eighty one or something. I don't I, know. I do
0: like how how he nestled into this scene, into this situation. It's a cupboard crammed with boxes of vintage breakfast cereals that he kind of goes through. And what instantly keyed me off as far as this passage, and when you're reading the book, like you're going through the passage, and if you know a little bit about some of the clues, or you've at least gotten this far in the book, and you're on the train of I'm trying to solve this with Parzival. And that's my favorite part about this book is that I'm trying to solve these hints with Parzival. Parzival. And I'm kind of trying not to use the internet to cheat. But what I did know about the Captain Crunch and the whistle is sort of exposed in this part. I didn't actually have this whistle, but in the early 90s, late 80s, uh, as I was getting into bulletin boards and doing a little bit more research, some of these bulletin boards had really cool documents on, on, on various phone freaking boxes. And this is just one of the earliest that I thought was, you know, super cool that you had this thing that when you had the phone line open, you could blow this tone. And that tone indicated to the phone switching company and the phone switching system as a whole that the call has been ended, we're done. And that from that point forward, you could dial any number you wanted and you could get past the restrictions of long distance calling. And back then, long distance calling was the industry. That's that's how the phone company stayed in business, and it was expensive. So the idea of being able to get past get past that was fantastic.
1: You know, if you still had one of those whistles, you could put up on eBay and make a cool three four hundred bucks. Really? Yeah, that's it.
0: That's all they cost. Uh, have, you, have you?
1: Yeah, and that's with the uh, the Ready Player One markup.
0: That's was was it like somebody that created it, or was it the original?
1: I think for it's originals. And there's different versions of this thing, but uh, there was definitely one that somebody actually said, you know, in the in the name of it, oh, here's one that went for only $72. Really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can get a 3D printed
0: version of it for like no money. But I wonder if it would make the same tone, you know? Actually. like if that tone is off and that was the that was the interesting thing first off whenever you dialed on a phone and this is a reason why you couldn't use your keypad necessarily as its own box is that every key was a dual tone press and then it was singular tones outside of the tonage of the keypad that were used to to sort of interface with the back end switching system but they had to be fairly specific and this was a 2600 tone so I, I got to wonder if the keys that are currently being sold weren't modified mm. or if they were, you know, if Captain Crunch or whatever company made Captain Crunch. Is it General Mills? I, I don't remember. Uh, good question. If they didn't say hold production, let's just tweak this freaking whistle and and make it so that it doesn't produce that tone. Or if somebody made their own cast of it and it's not the same tone. You know what I'm getting at? Mm, yeah. Like, like, how authentic is this, and does it produce the tones that we're talking about?
1: Actually, I'm, I'm seeing some much cheaper ones on there. If you really wanted to get one, there's one here for five bucks. Five bucks? Yeah, no, I know. I kind of want it.
0: That feels too cheap. Is it still wrapped?
1: No. I mean, like, these are, like, they are used in... and...
0: <laughs> used. Dirty whistles. It's had dozens of mouths along its round tony shaft well and that's the one that's
1: it's yellow which is exactly the way it's described in the book
0: uh, yeah but if it was white it'd be
1: yellow today there is another one here that's 200 dollars. what's the difference like is there a i don't know i have seen on here somebody selling 3d printed versions that just look not great they look like 3d printed versions
0: yeah, and that's the that's the part that concerns me is that 3D is not, not like injection molding, which can be much more precise. It's it's, it's it might not have the same tone. I guess is what I'm getting. Yeah. at. like you blow it, it be like Brr, you know, it'd just be crap. So now he describes it in the book as having three holes,
1: right? These seem to only have two. Is there another hole that I'm missing? And hey, let's keep it clean. <laughs> uh
0: Why would you need any more than two holes? I don't know, but he describes it as having like three holes. Yeah, no, you're right. Like he puts his finger on the third hole and that's what produces the tone. I don't know. I've not seen an original whistle, so I don't know if the original whistle had two or three holes. You know, I wonder if if they removed the hole that was in question. Ah, that could be, but. They They removed the knotty hole from the whistle.
1: Do you know what year all this phone freaking with this whistle went on? Uh,
0: well, it started. It started earlier than John Draper, but John Draper really brought it forward because he had the technical prowess to build the phone freaking box that would produce the twenty six hundred tone rather than just blowing the whistle. Uh, and you know, for him, the interest in creating the freaking box. And for those that aren't familiar a box there were different colored boxes or at least those were the titles what a box really was was a device that produced one or more tones with a specific purpose in mind so you could technically if you were if you were skilled enough create a multicolored phone freaking box into one device you could say this device is a blue box a black box a white box and a red box all combined into one. It was not literally a box per se. It was just a description for a device. And it, for me, I discovered it online in, again, the early 90s, maybe late 80s, but it had to have been much earlier than that as well. But at the time that I found them, these were things that were still used, that were still a part of the larger system. So it could have been that we're talking about way early 80s when when they were discovering this, and then it took a long time for uh, Ma Bell to fix their systems to not do that anymore. And I guess they transitioned over to a digital system that was either more accurate or just simply transmitted data rather than tonal signals for, for programming the systems. But my favorite was that you could dial an operator by clicking the hang up receiver. And, and sure enough, this worked. And this was actually shown in the movie Hackers as well.
1: Uh, but, and it was shown in um, the story before Silence of the Lambs. Hannibal Lecter uses that trick Really, in Red Dragon, the remake of Manhunter. He does this trick.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. When I saw it, first I read about it and I tried it. And the trick goes like this. If you have a regular phone... That has a you know a receiver you know you're connected to a regular old phone line, but but you have the two little spring they're not buttons but the the two little plastic knobs that stick up and you put your phone down on it and it pushes the hang up the switch is basically what this is it pushes it down and that's what sends the signal that the phone call has ended. But what you could do is you could pick up the phone and you could go one two three one two three four one two three by tapping that little switch. And the end result would be that that would call the operator. And then you could ask the operator to dial a number for you, and they would patch you through. And, you know, it, you see, you read about it, you see it in the movies. I was like, mm, I got to see if this works. And sure enough, at that time, it did work. And I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I, I read all about that kind of stuff um, in Ghost in the Wires by Kevin Mitnick. He goes into that a little bit.
0: Uh, but... Moving on, so like I've not played the full game of Zork. <laughs> I've not played like more than 15 minutes of Zork. But <laughs> and interesting enough, I have heard the Gru mentioned, the monster that is called the Gru, mentioned from a number of different angles in pop culture. And only a few only until a few years ago did it wrap back, and I realized, oh, okay, the Gru is a reference to Zork. But there's even a, a song out by, by MC Frontalot that features specifically in the lyrics, the Gru. Huh. And, uh, or at least the text that describes that the Gru is coming for you. Because, you know, the Gru lurks in the darkness and if you do not have a torch in your inventory or a light of some sort, the Gru comes and gets you and that's pretty much the end of the game. So I might actually close out with a, a clip of that song because it's funny as hell. And it's a funny, and it's a good video too. They They did a video of it.
1: I never would have guessed that Anything from Zork would have uh, nestled its way into pop culture that way. But uh, it's good to know. What did you think about his choices of uh, cereals to throw in there
0: in the pantry? Frankly, my mom used to tell us that cookies were crackers. Or the other way around, that crackers were cookies. My mother was a bit of a health nut. So uh, to curb us, about the only kinds of cereals that we had in our cupboard was Cheerios. Plain freaking Cheerios, none of that honey nut Cheerios, that sweet coated Cheerios shit. No, 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 regular plain crappy old Cheerios. And I mean, this is the kind of shit you feed rabbits. Maybe you feed animals you don't like. Uh, maybe you'd give it to ducks that you're gonna fatten for Christmas dinner. But it was just, I always perceived Cheerios and and checks as just the shittiest of <laughs> cereals to eat the shittiest because well, there's no they're
1: sugar sure. huh cheerios is definitely shitty if you've ever had honey nut cheerios
0: oh yeah oh yeah because honey nut cheerios actually at least it's sweet we would take spoonfuls of sugar spoonfuls why she purchased plain cheerios didn't make any sense because then we would go right to the sugar bowl and we would add cane sugar to our cereal, and I mean like three spoonfuls of sugar to sweeten the milk. <laughs> it was really counterproductive. If she had just purchased the fucking honey nut Cheerios, it would be less sugar. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's kind of like uh, cornflakes versus frosted flakes. I love the frosted flakes. I didn't mind cornflakes. Yes, if you added a shitload of sugar to it. I no, I never did that. I just sometimes you just want something Kind of what flattened eh, in
0: corn, eh? <laughs> huh? I, I need something flaky, I need something that resembles scabies peeled off of a human being and yet still corn flavored. Oh boy, you know what? That just
1: <laughs> if I had an appetite, it's gone now.
0: Oh, and then the background story for how cornflakes came to be is just as insane, yeah. Did you ever did you ever read up on, on the Kellogg's brothers?
1: Uh I I think I remember hearing the story a little bit, but you can go you can tell the story for the uh for the listeners out there.
0: You've you've got two brothers. You've got one that was creating a health food, trying to create this health food, and it was what ended up coming out was these shitty little cornflakes that ended up hard after they dried overnight. And that was like the best he could come up with. Like that what what we end up today was probably a lot better than what he came up with. But eventually he had so many shitty failed recipes that one day it came out and they dried and they were crispy. And he was like, okay, that's not half bad. And that turned into cornflakes. But the other Kellogg ran this kind of like a health club slash cult where they did these weird sort of esoteric, you know, health exercises. It was, he was against meat uh, it was just a lot of these sort of fluff garbage science that was really dangerous for a number of people. But later down the road, because of the success of the cornflakes, the Kellogg's brothers got into a legal battle in order to, you know, try to get in on the money that was being made over this cereal. And that, you know, from there came your cereal. I'm not even sure where Tony the Tiger drops in at this point, but I'm sure that they got bought out and, and down the road, Tony maybe was thrown in there. Uh, again, I'm calling on this lore just off the top of my head, so I'm not even researching it on the fly at the moment. This is just the scants that I remember. And in fact, they even made a movie uh, about this whole time period and around those brothers. That was uh, just fascinating, if even remotely accurate. Yeah. Have you? I had never heard of Quisp. Have you heard of Quisp? Yes. You're not missing anything, I do not think. Okay. Uh, was it cookie it,
1: crisps, or was this... No, it wisps? was quisp, like uh, Q-U-I-S-P. I think it's uh, it's made by Quaker. So
0: Quaker, quisp. Um. Ah, okay. Wow. I've never seen this cereal before, and I'm looking at it. Quisps, or quisp, not even quisps, it's quisp. And it, it looks like... <laughs> look like corn flakes. Look like cornflakes i think i'm I trying think to find images like... of the
1: actual cereal pardon me? oh my god yeah they, they do look like puffier cornflakes
0: uh, yeah and quisp versus quake cereal so the first commercial for quisp was out of the 1960s i'm telling you man i don't remember this at all and I was a kid yeah, in the I, 70s. I should, have, I should have had this crap. I think – pro- you know, I've listened to this
1: book a, a million times. And it was really only yesterday or the day before where when I was listening to it and I heard Quisp. And, I, and I'm like, what the hell is Quisp? I've heard of all of these. I I've, think I've, I've had all of these other ones. But what the fuck is Quisp? And I guess I didn't miss out on much.
0: I don't, I don't think so. And It's just, you know, they produce something that floats in milk and, and stays crispy in milk. Uh, and then they throw it in a box and you're good to go. Uh, what about some of these other cereals? Let's, you know, let's talk about Captain Crunch. Because that's a classic, I, right? Yeah, I didn't
1: have that that often. But when I did, it was, it was a good... like Those are like the sugary nuggets, right?
0: Well, yeah, they almost yeah, look well, like nuggets- little little yellow barrels. And this was for me this was before they started throwing balzo fruit in it or berries or whatever the hell they called them. You know, these were they looked like they looked like pinched off uh little corn barrels to me. And they were freaking delicious. And I, I I can't even like it is I, I don't think it tastes like anything else. Uh
1: I'm just looking at uh pictures of the of Captain Crunch or Cap'n Crunch Cap'n. And I think I remember having um like a uh, cap and crunch um like the uh, treats like the rice Krispie treats but made with cap and crunch right that's some diabetes right there
0: it, you know i'm i'm torn because i feel like i was missing out on on a whole lot. like i don't i think i i don't think i even tried cap and crunch until well into my teens and only because I think i had to buy it, had it in college so i think i had to get my i think i had to get my own in college to try it well, that's just classic college food right there. It's like, it's dinner time. You've got nothing in the fridge. What are you going to eat? Cap and crunch. <laughs> Do you have any milk? Nope, but I don't need it.
1: Yeah, I think it was one of those ones that we didn't buy growing up. But uh, once I had uh, freedom and my own money, uh, I went and got it. Um, I was a, I think I was a bigger fan of... Uh, uh, the frosted flakes, because that that was Tony the Tiger, right? Right. Yeah, that it's great. That that was a staple
0: for me. My favorite cereal was the cinnamon toast crunch, and granted, that just get soggy a little too fast.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's hit that's hitting the heartstrings right there.
0: I, uh, when I was younger, really? I did let's say amateur hypnosis. And I had a group of friends that I was demonstrating this with, and it was about eight people. We just kind of went back to my friend's apartment after we'd gotten done, playing, gotten done bowling. And we had talked about hypnosis and some of the things that I had done because I real, was really getting into that, that sort of mental exercise with, uh, with other friends. So they wanted to try it out, and there was only one person in the group who actually went under. So we played a little bit of a prank. And the idea here was that I told him that whenever somebody says the word what, W-H-A-T, whenever somebody says the word what, that they will smell cinnamon. And then I said, you're not going to remember anything that we've just said now. Uh, You're going to wake up. You're going to feel refreshed. You're going to think you went to sleep. but, But this will still be behind whenever you hear the word what, you will smell cinnamon. And then I brought him out of this. And, you know, he starts apologizing. And I was like, you know, did you, did you? Did you feel anything? He says, oh, dude, I'm sorry. I, I totally zoned out. I was so relaxed, I just went to sleep. All right, that's cool. What are we doing this evening?" And he just he perks up, and the rest of the gang, you know everyone else just did not go under. Just, some people just don't go under at all. You know they just don't do well with it. Uh, but they were oh they were in on this. They were listening to me kind of guide him down through this. And they, they totally played in and it says, I don't know what we're going to do. Bob, what do you think? And, and he instantly gets up and goes into the kitchen. I was like, dude, what are you doing? Dude, do you smell that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Is, someone is eating Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, my God, I smell Cinnamon Toast. He starts scouring the apartment, going through the bedrooms. <laughs> Everyone else is dying. And I had to bring him back in. I really thought like I might have fucked up. And it is possible to kind of fuck up with somebody. So I had to bring him back in. I said, dude, just I need you to sit down and just lay back down and relax. And at that point, before I had kind of programmed in a, a little bit of a, you know, a three, two, one snap, it would bring him back down. And then I told him that he would remember everything we said and that the word what would no longer trigger the sense of the smell of cinnamon. We brought him back out. And it's like, you fuckers. <laughs> was, you know just it's just a fun little prank although i was a little bit nervous because some people overreact to that kind of thing and and it was just neat to see him turn to translate in his own software the smell of cinnamon to the interpretation of cinnamon toast crunch that that cereal was so prevalent in culture that that's how it translated for him as being delicious
1: mm. now i kind of want some cinnamon toast crunch <laughs> yeah
0: me too all right so let's <laughs> let's move on past the yeah we're serials. here to talk about a book we're here to talk about a fucking book right so we we, we move past the cereals and is able to come back with all the trophies puts them into the case blows the whistle by by pressing down the third hole that doesn't exist on any whistles on the market right now and the jade key appears before him but it's not jade it's white and it turns out that that is a a foil covered jade key that he ends up unwrapping, and the clue etched into the surface of the key is "continue your quest by taking the test." Now, I don't want to get into what that means, but what I'm curious is whether or not you clued into this 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 etching. This were you able to pick up on this clue? When you read this, I was totally fucking lost, completely lost. I,
1: uh, I definitely did not know what it was talking about because I'm, sh- I mean, I'm a, I was probably at that point aware of the references existence, mm-hmm. but I'd never s- seen, listened, or whatever to it. Uh, I will say though that he's a fucking idiot for not understanding what it is.
0: I didn't under, well, are you saying that he should have known? Is
1: that, is that the. I'm saying that he, that he should have known and Artemis who already has it should have figured it out because, well, I think they'll get into that later, but yeah, I, it almost seems silly to me that they don't figure it out as quickly as, um, they should have.
0: Gotcha. And we'll get into that in the next chapter, I think. Yeah, uh, but I like I like how I like how you. There's two parts to this key that it's wrapped in foil, and in mm-hmm. my mind, uh, part of me is kind of like it's wrapped in foil. What the hell? Like a piece of bubble gum? Is this is this? You know? It, it meant- oh yeah, he
1: even says that like a stick of gum or chocolate or something. Yeah,
0: like that's weird. And if I was him, I would have been like, meh, toss the wrapper. But the flip of that is is that you know that nothing is done without great purpose. So I thought it was odd that he just simply pocketed the wrapper at this point when he, when he unwraps the jade key.
1: I would have, because like, like you just said, not everything is done for, with a purpose. And if it was wrapped in foil, then there's something to do with the foil. That's, that's important.
0: Right. And And I don't think I'm going to stop there as far as that is concerned, because I feel feel myself wanting to inch into the next chapter, so I'm not going to. I'm going to pull back the reins with a little bit of self-control and move on to him leaving the house with the key, instantly faced with the roar, the muffled roar of approaching spacecraft. That is the Sixers on the horizon, because evidently they've noticed that his score has jumped. Yeah. So moving forward, he comes running out. The Vonnegut, his ship, the Vonnegut, is landed. It's, it's opened up. It's ready for takeoff. Jumps into the back. It already starts to take off. And six or gunships bank to pursue. This is a scene that I would love to see enacted, you know, where you have dozens, if not hundreds, maybe thousands of gunships coming after his, his little firefly ship modified Firefly ship and just taking a pounding before he can jump out and get it repaired. And and coming close to being toasted. Like what would coming close to being destroyed in this ship even look like? This is one of those scenes where you kinda hoped that if it was integrated into a, a visual space, a movie, a television show, that, that you'd be excited to see this part kind of simulated. Because this is a high tense moment here where there's the potential yeah for something bad to happen. And in a couple paragraphs, they curb that potential. But still, you kind of at the end of this, when, once you hit the ellipse there, you're like, crap, that was close as it was described.
1: Yeah, it, what what I really appreciated was that, you know, he did kind of, you know, cut it really close. Like he did almost die. It wasn't like he's this invincible protagonist that, you know, up oh, it just got a little bit of a little small dent in the back of my uh uh of my ship no problem no he like had to go f- get his ship repaired he almost died his shields were going mm. and all that you know that he's not infallible he's not invincible right uh, so i appreciated that because you know I, it would it would be boring if he wasn't at risk sure kind of like this whole pvp versus no pvp thing you know he he needs to uh, for one he needs to be humbled a little bit so that he doesn't like get all
0: cocky like he was before right yeah nay a god nay a god i agree and i like games where there is some degree of of if you're going to get into a dangerous situation i don't like where it's you're alive and then you're dead i do like the concept that you can take damage that the damage is reflected into how well whatever you're flying or driving or operating can can do any of that and there are a few games that do that very well there's one game that's still in alpha called star citizen and what i love most about this is that as the ship takes damage first off you can see the damage etched across the surface And it is very unique in the sense that normally when you have firefights or you're shooting something, what you're really doing is you're throwing up images of holes on a surface. And when you reach like 10 or 15, the first hole goes away. If you've ever done any first-person shooters early in the first-person shooter games, you'd fire in against a building and you go bada bada bada, and you'd see bullet holes, and then you'd start to see bullet holes disappear because you'd reach that max number. In Star Citizen, when you fire at a given area, it actually burns out and destroys a given strip or an area you can see past that. And it's designed to be unique. So every area doesn't have like a predictable damage view. It actually uniquely carves damage into every part that gets literally shot in the game. And what's coming up in the future of this game is the ability to have a ship that you can fly out and repair other ships. And part of the game is this metagame where you take materials and then you literally go and you cut out sections of this person's ship and replace it with these materials and metals and surfaces. You're, You're literally part of the game is repairing another person's ship and there's this exchange you build a skill and figure out how to repair ships well and efficiently, and someone pays you in game to do that when their ship gets trashed and I just love that concept that sounds kind of cool it's really pretty neat and so far it's it's been a great game, even though it's in alpha but they're releasing quarterly now and it's just just super cool
1: no i i I appreciate the uh the more realistic approach to
0: uh that implementation. I'd take it. So, wrapping back around, speaking of repairing your ship, he takes the ship to Joe's Garage. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that and I thought, Joe's Garage is a very specific name. And the first thing I thought was, I wonder if this is like Joe's Crab Shack. And I was thinking, maybe there's like a Joe's Garage in a video game. What, what do you know of the origin for Joe's Garage?
1: Uh, the only thing that I know is that it's a, a rock opera by Frank Zappa.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, that's what my research uncovered as well. I was looking for references in video games, and what it really circled around to, I think, was that Frank Zappa is, is a prevalent musician and influences a, you know, a whole generation of peeps, and that the remastered version of this three-part rock opera came out in 1987. So that that lands it right smack into the middle of, near the middle of the 80s, which, you know, puts it yeah, in that time frame.
1: The original release date that I found was uh, September 79. Right,
0: right. So it, the, the rock opera, as it, it sort of unfolds around, I guess, the activities of the central character through this stream of music uh, kind of empties into this dystopian world where music's been criminalized and it eventually drives the central character in this opera insane as a result. And I thought that that's very sort of reflective of, again, this dystopian world where there's this fear that the freedom of creativity is going to be overridden and tampered down. Just another kind of interesting meta reference that it wasn't just because Frank Zampa is popular, but that even the rock opera itself is kind of can be reflected back into the story. It's really similar to how a lot of other items within this story end up circling back around in a similar theme.
1: Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting how a lot of these seemingly obscure references really do kind of like fit into the DNA of the whole book.
0: Oh, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. That it's just, it's just a part really of the larger code and the larger form that evolves from it. So Joe's garage knocks it out really fast. It's evidently run. It's an NPC operation. You just kind of bring it in and they take care of it for you.
1: Can't be any more uh, disingenuous than uh, humans. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And at this point, this is where that reconciliation that we talked about with H comes in now that he's now that he's received the key and he can come back and he he's successful in his endeavors to be able to shoot out a message to H to say, thanks, man. I was a complete dick, you know, and, you know, mea culpa kind of situation. Mea culpa. That's what I meant to say. Thank you. Well, say it
1: again so that way you can edit I that out. I
0: said, I said maya Koopa, because I'm from the <laughs> South, and the South pronounces things badly. <laughs> Mea Koopa.
1: I'm originally from Boston, or the Boston area, so they don't pronounce anything correctly over there. But but you got it
0: right, though. It's better than I did. But as we round out the rest of the story, it's it's him... Viewing the scoreboard and expecting to see uh, IOI jumping on this like there's no tomorrow. And sure enough, Sorrento gets it. He jumps to 17,000 points. Boo. Boo. But Shoto then gets it up 20 minutes later after Sorrento and his score jumps up. Yay. Yay. However, at this point is when we recognize that Daito's name disappears. And all we know is the final conclusion and honestly probably one of the best cliffhangers of any chapter i've read is the final sentence here which is dito had just been killed could you imagine
1: being one of these guys that have gotten closest to finding the holiday's easter egg and then and then dying yeah you know, your avatar gets killed and that's it like you would have to go through the whole process over again yeah.
0: and worse you're not at a level that's high enough to do a number of these things you know because you know you lose all your money you can't travel
1: uh i mean yeah so unless you have like a gunther clan behind you mm-hmm. yeah you know, you're kind of screwed
0: you can't travel where you need to go short of the schools on Ludus. To get the first key, but you also may not be buffed enough to make it through that encounter. Parzival got lucky for yeah. a lot you know in a lot of ways. the times where Artemis lost, she barely escaped with her life, and she's was she at that time was fairly yeah. high up. Yeah, she was like 50-something level. Yeah, and if you've ever played video games, just because you beat somebody once does not guarantee you're going to have a good game. But let's face it, if you're at level zero and you get killed, who cares? You know? Yeah.
1: And she was using healing potions and shit like that. Right.
0: The idea of dropping to zero is, you know, that's, that's kind of a crushing defeat right from the bottom level. Because now... If you're used to, if you're spoiled on having a high level, high equipment, high amount of money, a number of vehicles, all that's gone. Your ability to move from one place to another, you've got to get clever about. Like even on Ludus. And given
1: that the Oasis is everybody's life, like every part of their life is in the Oasis, to lose your avatar or your avatar to get killed I mean, that's got to hurt you psychologically.
0: I liked in the movie, and we're a couple of weeks out from the movie now, I think, that I, I liked the fact in the movie that they also expressed the permanence of death in the Oasis and also the permanence of losing your shit. That, you know, as, as was quoted, that when you lost your shit, you really lost your shit.
1: Well, yeah, they, 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 and they added this whole term being zeroed out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it's, you basically return to zero across the board. Zero equipment, zero money, zero experience. Uh, that's killer, particularly if you need that to get the key and to move back up into that position. So at this point, all we know is that Daito's character in-game has been killed, and that's where it leaves off, and that's where we're going to leave off, because... It, if I talk any more about this, I'm going to wander into spoiler territory and I think the next couple chapters have a really good turn for the book. And a, or a dark turn, but a really good turn, an enjoyable turn. In fact, I really should just stop talking now. <laughs> Before we go, what was there anything that we didn't discuss
1: about this chapter that you want to make sure you get in there? Because there, there was some things I thought were interesting that I could
0: bring yeah, up. Yeah, man. So let's let's take a few minutes and hit the highlights of stuff that I might have missed moving through this chapter because there are likely some hidden nuggets that I've missed and that I hope you caught.
1: I think probably the, the big thing that I, I guess not really found but that I wanted to make sure was said um, was in Zork you're supposed to collect 19 quote-unquote, trophies. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would read the list because I thought there were some interesting things in there. Okay. And this is a list taken right off of their wiki page. Uh, a jewel-encrusted egg.
0: Cool. Okay.
1: Clockwork canary, whatever the fuck that means. beautiful painting, a brass bobble, a pot of gold, a platinum bar, an ivory torch, a gold coffin, an Egyptian scepter of Ramses II.
0: A trunk of jewels. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. That's really fucking specific. It's like yeah. pot of gold, trunk of jewels, an Egyptian scepter from Ramsey II. What? Yeah. Okay, go on.
1: <laughs> so the next item on this is Crystal Trident of Poseidon. Another long one. I, hi- I, hi- I highlighted crystal. And then the next item was a uh, jade figurine. Mm-hmm highlighted jade. that's
0: interesting uh, hold on a second though there's a jade figurine and it is here that we're getting the jade key now now that you've you've brought this up i, I do wonder how he settled and again this might be too meta this might just be getting too geek but uh, every time we every time we think that it does seem like there's some wraparound there is some deeper connection or reason i uh, I, I do wonder how he landed on the materials for the keys. Just, you know, what inspired that? Why, why freaking Jade? And that yeah. the Jade is mentioned here as one of the trophies. I, I wonder if he was like, you know, I'm going to make Zork the focus here. And then in making the focus and researching the trophies, if Jade didn't pop out and he went, you know what? That'll be great. I'll use Jade as the key or something. I could see this. I could see it being kind of like that because it is self-referential in that sense.
1: I wonder if, like, if in any part of, like, he wrote a draft of of this, that the Jade Key was the Jade figurine in Zork.
0: Right, right. Yeah, almost like, you know, rather than it being a key, you would get the figurine, but then, you know, it's got to be a key. So, you know, just to kind of theme it out with the gates and whatnot. Yeah, I wonder if that played in anywhere, or if it just was totally, totally separate, Again, it's it's hard to say because there's so much referential inspiration as to why things look and are described the way they are in the book. And I think we've stumbled on a few things that that are very meta and very obvious as to why it would be used at least. It seems like there's a lot of intention. Could be. We're going to close out the chapter leaving off with Daito having just been killed. This is Chris and I'm Aaron. And we're glad that you got to the good part. We'll see you next chapter. You are likely to be eaten by a group. If this predicament seems particularly cruel, consider whose fault it could be. Now the torture match in your inventory. You are likely to be eaten by a group. If this predicament seems particularly cruel. Consider who spot could convene. I'll torture a match in your inventory. He got narrated at you in the second person. Every time you put it up, it seems you got another version of your life told to you by a status line blinking. The impossible people you could be without thinking yourself insane of your
1: personality problems. Yeah, but you said you were from the South.
0: Yeah, that's true. So I'm not saying all Southerners are dumb. That's certainly not the case. No, we have no issues with Southerners on this podcast. That's true. Not, in fact, if you're listening to this podcast, you are an you're a you're a smart smart as a whip. I guarantee you. I'm just going to cut this whole fucking section out. <laughs> 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 uh, fuck shit nipple. Uh, all right. I'm writing down the time to write this to cut this out. All right, but as we round out the rest of the story it's it's